Hey, so it's a beautiful day here in Nashville, and uh, I've been meditating, thinking this morning on something that'd be a help to everyone. Uh, and I want to go through um, an understanding of a, a particular field called uh, semiotics. What I want to do is with this is bite into an understanding of of uh, how to find meaning behind the literacy or the literal aspects of something and find a objective reality, speaking of heaven, through looking at, again, those things that appear to us in, in a literal way and getting behind the meaning of things. So let's just start out. Semiotics is a study of how signs are used to convey meaning and to shape our perceptions of life and reality. They pay close attention to how signs are used to impart meaning to an intended recipient and to look for ways to ensure that the meaning comes across effectively. So a couple ways I want to do this, I, I want to look at a couple pieces of, one, a piece of literature, and another is a piece of um, media related to like a film called Three Days of the Condor. And the literature piece I want to look at is a little section out of uh, Moby Dick. I'm going to start out with, uh, and maybe we'll call this, uh, we'll call this podcast Moby Condor. Um, anyways, I, I like these little silly names and things, but I don't know if other people appreciate them the same way I do. In Moby Dick, there's this, there's this section uh, in the in the very beginning, and it's it's in the uh, extract section. When Herman Melville had had written this uh, back in the uh, early 1900s. Now, Moby Dick is is an American epic, prose based narrative story. Uh, if you haven't read it, I would invite you to. There's it's very rich. Um, However, I honestly, I think Herman Melville, and his just personal opinion, was uh, motivated by um, our enemy. And I wanted to open up this extract section because this became something a number of years ago that began to open up my understanding to how we dig beneath the literal meaning of things into the connotation that sits behind it. One little plug before we take off. If you haven't had a chance, go listen to the uh, Phase 10 53X podcast called The Expanse. And this would be like an, another expansion of The Expanse. So let's start out with this extract section within Moby Dick's and listen to these words. And I'm going to give you a little, my own personal commentary about this, and then we'll jump into a little bit more of understanding. Now, first of all, it starts out supplied by a sub-sub-librarian. What my construct is, is, and what I understand is the librarian is the, the literal meaning or what we call denotation. And this sub-sub is the connotation that sits behind it, the uh, denotation, meaning that there's a meaning and then a double meaning behind things. And so when he starts out like this and listen to these words, it will be seen that 
this mere painstaking burrower and grub worm of a poor devil of a sub-sub appears to have gone through the long Vatican's and street stalls of the earth, picking up whatever random allusions to wells he could anyways find in any book whatsoever, sacred or profane. And so he's uh, looking into seediology, uh, which is a study of wells, and he's looking through the Vatican or the religious systems or even in, in the streets of life, whether or not it's sacred, being the heavenly things or the profane maybe the earthly things. Therefore, you must not, in every case at least, take the higgly piggly well statements, however authentic, in these ex- extracts for veritable gospel seediology, again, the study of the well. Uh, far from it, as touching the ancient authors generally, as well as the poets here appearing, these extracts are solely valuable or entertaining. As affording a glancing bird's eye view, of what has been promiscuously said, thought, fancied, and sung of Leviathan by many nations, generations, including our own. Now, so fare the well, poor devil, of a sub-sub, whose commentator I am. And so he's writing a commentary based off of what I believe is being said here, the sub-sub, is the deeper meaning times two that sits behind a culture. And again, this is called connotation. And I'm going to dig in this a little bit with you. And, and I also like have uh, diagrams and things if that's helpful uh, for you later. Thou belongest to that hopeless, sallow tribe, which no wine of this world will ever warm and for whom even pale sherry would be too rosy strong. But with whom one sometimes loves to sit and feel poor devilish too and grow connivable upon tears and say to them bluntly with full eyes and empty glasses and in not altogether unpleasant sadness, uh, give up, you sub-subs. By how much the more pains you seek to please the world, by so much more shall you forever go thankless. The reason why I think this is motivated by the enemy is because he he never wants us to go beneath the literal the literal way of life because what we find out is if we go beyond the literal meanings of things the libra- the library beyond that into the connotation nobody will ever appreciate it and especially if we get into double connotation if we really seek to find what what things really deeply mean behind He's trying to discourage people from this. And this epic, American epic, is, when you read it, you'll find out, I mean, at the end, you have Ishmael's the only one left alive floating on a coffin uh, going after Moby Dick. And so there's this sense of, uh, even within the whole context of the book, of hopelessness. And so he's saying this, you you should give this up. And I want to say, just as a little side thing, that I think that so many people, they're like, let's just go back to life. It reminds me of uh, Peter after experiencing what he did with the Lord. And he just like said, let's go a fishing. You know, I'm going back to my normal life. Why would I want to go into this world, the sub-sub world? Let's just go back to the literal thing. I get my income every day by fishing and I want to live like this, this other dimension of heaven. I, it's, whew, it's difficult. And I think that's what 
he's saying here in the book, he wants us to give up. But for by how much more, the more pains you take, right, to please the world, by so much more shall you ever forever go thankless. And I can tell you as someone who's been involved in this for some time, that a lot of people don't like it when people get behind the meaning of things and the motives behind things. Nevertheless, we must go on. And and he said, would that I would clear out Hampton Court and the Tories for ye. What he's actually talking about is Hampton uh, Court and the Tories. The Hampton Court was a, a royal palace uh, in England, and the Tories was a French palace. And I, I think what he's saying here is he wants to rid the world of uh, monarchical rule. And this, this book's going to come out in the time when uh, post-French Revolution, but also in uh, po- a post-American Revolution, but non-monarchies have just fell uh, through the revolution in Russia. And so there's a real attack on the nuclear family that is happening on a global scale. And then especially the nuclear family in a royal sense. And so he's like, I want to clear these these places out of the nuclear family, and especially the royal families that are uh, governing uh, nations. He says, gulp down your tears and high aloft to the royal mast with your hearts for your friends who have gone before are clearing out the seven-storied heavens to make refugees of long-pampered Gabriel, Michael, and Raphael against your coming. There's something going on here. And, uh, you you know, if you read Dr. Michael Heiser in Reversing Herman, maybe the, you would get uh, an understanding of what Melville's writing here. Again, I think being motivated by the enemy to put hopelessness on our American tales. Um, here you strike but splintered hearts together. There you shall strike unsplinterable glasses. And so, and then he writes this thing, and God created great wells, Genesis, and Leviathan make a path to shine after him. One would think the deep be hoary Job. And so he's going to use all of these uh, in these extracts to that is absolutely brilliant by the way to describe the well and uh, i think it's ultimately moby dick is possibly you know there's different scholars that think different things i i think the white well is probably a picture of uh, a journey going after the god we never knew and so well uh with with that what i wanted to talk a little bit about now is um, something that I believe will be, uh, you know, helpful um, out of some of my reading to give you like a a context for what we're talking about. Okay, semiotics was uh, established by a Swiss linguist, uh, Ferdinand de Saussure, and American philosopher Charles Sanders Pierce. These models of semiotics or sign symbols um, or sign systems, they are a part of uh, the discussions that we're having today, uh, particularly in our culture. Semiotics is a study of signs or a language considered in the broadest possible sense with sign or symbol and referring to any phenomenal object that may be taken to signify something. Daniel Chandler, he lists possible 
phenomenal objects as words, images, sounds, gestures, and objects. In particular, what form the basis of linguistic semiotics today are Saussure's a distinction between the signifier, the symbol, the sign itself, and the signified, the mental concept that's generated by the sign. Uh, Pierce's, back to Charles Sander Pierce, his, he has a triadic model. It includes a sign or the rep, uh, representative men, an object, that which is represented by the sign, and a, uh, an interpreted, the sense that's made by the sign, by the interpreter, as a result of the sign. Uh, Pierce's three-part model has led to what is called unlimited semiosis, where the signifier points to the signified, and wherein the signified becomes a new signifier pointing to another signified, and so on. Now, if that may seem a little bit heady for some of you, the way that I've understood this and I've drawn this out is, and, and this goes back to the expanse teaching that I did, that what you first have is, well, let me put it to you this way. Many of you have heard me say this before, but faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen is better translated in the Greek that faith is the title deed hoped for, the objective proof of an unseen reality. And so, uh, so let's, let's just break this down. Faith is the title deed hoped for. Well, the title deed hoped for is the sign. So when we're looking at this, what Pierce is saying about a triadic pattern, the first is the sign. Faith is the sign or the title deed hoped for. But it's the objective proof of an unseen reality. So in the objective proof, you need both the object and you need the sense of that object. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 19, it will speak of that you need, when something in law was done, uh, you needed the mouth of two or three witnesses. You couldn't just have, if two witnesses didn't fully agree about something, then it would be thrown out of court. And God, God set this system up that, you need two witnesses to agree touching anything in the earth to bring something into the literal into the literal so these two witnesses are the object and the sense or this is what pierce calls it in scripture in hebrew 6 we call it the promise and the oath uh, everything is done by promise and oath so god gives you a promise out of his word and then there's a sense or an oath that happens where you agree with what God's promise is. Um, in Corinthians, it'll say that, that all the promises of God are yes and amen unto the glory of God through us. So this promise, oath, or object and sense brings through that agreement, brings back into the natural dimension the sign or the uh, the pulling down of heaven and so to speak of this in those terms is so understand to see something in the natural dimension the sign come forth the faith is the title deed the title deed is the sign to see that sign come into the natural dimension you need a double witness uh, Pierce calls it an object and a sense 
Uh, scripture calls it a promise and an oath or a yes and an amen. And you need that yes and that amen or that two-part agreement to bring it into the earth. And so one of the reasons why the semiotics is so important is a lot of people are living their life in the signs. And, and what I mean is they're living their life trying to bring a title deed, affect a title deed into the earth. But what many people are not doing is they're not looking for the connotation that sits behind the sign. And they're not peering into the realm of heaven and getting a heavenly objective perspective to inform their the title deed in the earth. They're uh, living according to their own title deeds. They're perpetuating their own title deeds through vehicles, houses, businesses, lands. And it, and it may or may not be that which would, the Lord wanted for their life. And what I would suggest to you is that unless you get the object in the sense or the double connotation, the sub-sub, the double witness from heaven, you're doing things in the earth that aren't being informed from heaven. You're just living a, a literal life or a sign-based life without the connotation or the deeper meaning that sits behind the uh, denotation or the literal sign. And I, I hope this makes sense that you must, you must have a double connotation, a sign, excuse me, an object or a sense or a promise and an oath or a yes and an amen from heaven to bring it into the earth. Now, a lot of people, they, they live according to the earth. Some people live according to the heavens and some of them, we think they're just so off the wall. And in some cases, some of those people, they never actually bring anything from heaven to earth. They just live in a uh, cosmic uh, philosophical realm and they talk like out of their head and it makes no sense to anybody and I want to suggest that's a very real thing I just switch uh, gears a little bit here and I want to make a statement is that I think is very poignant to what is being said here uh, that sheep hear you remember this verse it says and my sheep hear my voice but I want to say what I'm actually trying to develop you in is King C. Um, Proverbs 25, 2 said, It's the glory of God to conceal. What does he mean? He's concealing the connotation that sits behind the denotation. He's concealing the object and the sense that sits behind the sign. It's God's glory to do that, to conceal it, a matter. It's the glory of a king to search it out. And so some people say, well, I'm not complex. I'm super simple. And I don't, you know, I don't need all this meaning and purpose. It's just behind things. I just need to do life every day. And I would suggest, yes, but you're also talking like a sheep and you're not speaking like a kingly or a royal in the family would speak. Uh, Job, he went through, uh, he went through this with the Lord and the Lord had to reframe his heavenly reality and his earthly reality. Uh, when he speaks to him after Elihu, he gives him a earthly explanation, a heavenly explanation. And then Job says, in Job 42, 5, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye has seen you. What? I heard of you, sheep's here, sheep here. Uh, but now my eye has seen you, King C. Jesus said, only do what I see my father doing. So without knowing it, so many people are living their life from a purely uh, 
denotative or sign-based reality, and they're not getting behind what uh, Rowan Barth calls the ideogram or the first order meanings, which is the connotation. Um, and then they're not getting behind the even second order of meaning, which is to uh, that's a communication that sits behind the first connotation into another connotation that gets into cultural knowledge and history, what I was doing with you some with uh, Moby Dick. These codes of connotation are not natural and they're not artificial. They're historical and they're cultural. Now, it takes training to dissect these fields that between the literal and the symbolic. And, and what I want to invite you into is to recognize this. Uh, I mentioned this in uh, Transfiguration AD 4 that Moses was going through the wilderness. It's possible that that bush that was caught on fire that was not consumed was always there, but he just kind of took it for granted because all these other bushes were on fire. And it wasn't until he turned aside to see. You see what I'm saying? That he saw that it wasn't. It wasn't on. It was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. I want to suggest to you that this is happening every day in your life. That the uh, connotation has the double connotation is sitting behind meaning and purpose. The promise and the oath is sitting behind all of your literal life that you're living, and it takes um, energy or effort to put your eyes on the kingdom so that you can see what God sees, so you can bring. Uh, heaven to earth. This really began to be more epitomized to me. The structure of this thought became more when uh, about two years ago, I was prompted by the Lord, I believe, to watch a film called Three Days of the Condor. And um, that film, there, there's a lot, you know, that could be said, but it, it's in a post-Watergate era. And the one of the major kind of overarching things is because of what was happening during that time post-Watergate, a lot of people were starting to uh, come out of uh, modernism and the thought, the, post, the modern thought, because that things were quantitative, that, it, that everything could be put into like a, like a series of numbers and we could extract everything and uh, get it down to study all these formulas and everything. We could finally bring... Uh, life together through that. And, and what happened in Watergate was uh, the professional managerial class, the, the white collar, basically, we started to see that they were corrupt and they were doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And people lost a lot of, of trust in the uh, the quantitative managerial class's way of, of handling things. And, and our, our, our culture went into what's, uh, you know, called postmodernism. And we got away from a right-based white collar and a lot of people, you know, basically they just swung from the right and went right to the left uh, into more of a uh, socialistic type of uh, ideology, which is, is really propagating itself on the earth today uh, because of a distrust in uh, which that distrust actually needed to be there that a lot of the white collar managerial class was actually using people for their own benefit. And I think a lot of people have seen that. And, and you know, you've heard me say we shouldn't go blue or white, and mostly blue or red in our uh, political way because you're called to a place of royalty, i.e. King C. 
I'm not doing this podcast for uh, people who are trying to camp out in blue and whites or blue and reds. This is this podcast is actually for people who are called to to the purple or instead of blue and white into silver and gold or precious stones. And so, you know, if this doesn't make sense to you, just, you know, politely bow out from it. You don't have to listen to something that would you know, helping uh, an area to, to call you forth into uh, royalty. But those of you that are part of the royal family, this will have a great meaning to you. There's this section in um, in uh, Three Days of the Condor. It's more towards the end. And there's a question of, are you trying to create mastery or meaning? Because there's, a, there's this whole PMC, professional managerial class, that's trying to master things, and there's there's nothing wrong with you know mastery, but you can't seek mastery ahead of meaning because you'll seek the literal things of denotation before you look for the deeper meaning. Uh, speaking of connotation, which is to inform mastery, we shouldn't seek mastery before meaning, but meaning before mastery. Another way to say this is, we seek uh, the kingdom before we do our own things, or we seek the altar before the tent. Um, we seek priest before king. And um, there's this one little section. I'm going to read it to you. It says, you play games, he tells Higgins. I told them a story. The difference between playing a game and telling a story is the accentuation of the difference between the professional and the amateur. The difference between a limited choice within an established structure, a move, and an unlimited choice that constructs a new one. Between an opportunity to establish mastery and a, another opportunity to create meaning. And what I want to suggest here is, is that many people are trying to choose their own meaning or choose their own mastery. But when we get behind the, the double, into the double connotation and even beyond that into I am in us, we're allowing him to choose. And, you know, you can listen to this in the uh, podcast, Transfiguration 84, especially towards the end, that God's choice for you will always be better than the one you could choose for yourself. And you can't really find that if you've got yourself on the throne. You'll, you can hear this in the worship. Tom Gross come up and he said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Because I, in us, is an offense to God in the sense that when we demand our own position or our own right or our own choosing, instead of releasing our life to him for him to decide things for us, we've allowed a God that God is us instead of him being God. Uh, Stephen Scroggs Jr. yesterday brought up that, you know, Nimrod, he said, I'll make a name for myself. And God said about Abram in Genesis 12, he says, I'll make a name for you. If you want God to have his choice, you have to come beyond the literal way you're living your life into this double connotation. It's a place that can seem really, I think, frightful for people um, because we fear what we don't understand the most. And I think many people that call themselves Christian are just living a denotative or literal life every day. The purpose of, uh, of this podcast is to call you through the sign to the object and the sense and even beyond those into I am. Let me put this another way. It's to call you beyond that which is the orientational into the ontological, into the structural, into I am. The sub-sub is 
ontological, which has to do with who, and it's structural, which has to do with why. But if you'll come on beyond that, you, you'll begin to in, integrate through holiness into I am. Why would anyone want to do this? Well, when you move beyond the denotation through the double connotation into I am, that's the place of moving beyond limitation into transfiguration or the place of the transformed life. Um, and in that transformation, you begin to take on the divine nature of God. Um, you begin to uh, partake of his holiness. And in the partaking of that holiness, you become more like him. And becoming more like him, you begin to see him as he is. God is reforming your likeness, which is your wisdom, but he's restoring uh, the image inside of you to look like him, uh, look like himself. In Hebrews 1, it says about Jesus that he's the expressed image of the Father. And he's the exact replication of him. And I believe it is God's intent through the blood of Jesus to uh, transfigure us out of limitation into a full reformation, moving our heart from divided to Davidic into restoration to take away and restore, uh, well, to restore the image that's inside of us. God wants to restore both uh, likeness and image. And so uh, I pray this will be a help for you. And if some of you would like uh, modeling, uh, you know, like to look at this, uh, I have some drawings and things that may help you to understand. And I did, I wanted to make uh, sure that's clear. I was uh, quoting earlier when I was getting into semiotics, uh, I was quoting out of uh, page a section on the discussion of semiotics 2.1 out of of uh, the book by uh, Haley Jacob, Conform to the Image of His Son. All right.